All right, I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in, Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital has the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance needs. So each week we take a listener question about a topic that they were interested in by visiting our website at techgumbo.net where you can send us a question. And we got a question this week. The question was, how can I use my current modem and computer for faxing over the internet. So it's also important to note that the modem that was specified was a bit older. And so we looked around, we did some thinking on it, and ultimately we have to recommend against it. We we're gonna say don't. But this was a, a USB modem, this 56K baud modem, which is vintage 1994 speeds of internet access and to work an analog modem you need an analog phone line well part of the question was he he was trying to save some money so he got rid of the analog phone line wants to know if he can still use the analog modem the analog fax machine and the answer is well, you could, but the amount of money you would have to spend is not worth the amount of money that you were saving by killing your phone line. Yeah, you have to go out and you'd have to buy several pretty complicated pieces of equipment and you'd have to tie them together and it would be a mess to do so. You, you know, you'd, you'd have to convert that analog signal to digital and then send it across and then the person receiving on the other end would have to have the the digital signal converted back to analog. And the simple and easy solution, go to the nearest big box store for under a hundred bucks, buy a new inkjet printer with a scanner and a feeder on the top, scan whatever you're trying to fax to a PDF and send it via email. Yeah, that really is our suggestion here. Scan it, send it, a, scan it as a PDF, send it as an email. That's going to, you know, whoever you're working with is going to appreciate that because you're going to give them a whole lot of extra things they can do on their end. You're probably going to save yourself some time. You're going to improve the quality of the, of the document that you send. You have the ability to store it and save it and access it. You're really going to be gaining a lot here. And we, we have to recommend that you move move a little bit forward here on this one and and if going out and buying a new printer is not your solution there is e-fax or ring central or metro fax or some other type of electronic faxing but 
all you're doing, they're, they're just scanning the same documents and they're going to send it off. You're going to email it to them basically, and then they're going to send it on to somebody else, maybe even as a fax. But you're still going to use a digital signal to get it from your location to them. It's just a better solution. I guess you, there is a monthly recurring fee somewhere between 10 and 20 bucks a month, and depending upon how many faxes you send. But it's a much more simple solution than trying to create Frankenstein's monster that's going to be bulky, frustrating, and complicated and not really work all the time. Oh, yeah. And then if you try and call a tech out to come fix it, they're going to take one look at it and say no. They're going to say, this This is just, it's not worth me helping you here, and they're going to walk away. Well, mostly because that technology is older than most of the techs who come out and help them. Thank you very much for the question. We will be reaching out to you to get you Tech Gumbo mug. Love the fact that you're listening, and we hope that that helped. As we move into the second segment, we want to do something a little bit more interesting here. This one is going to get a bit more conceptual. But we're going to try and, and not get too academic, try and not get too lectury here. But this was a, a topic that we wanted to explore in a little bit of a different way. Here in the past week or so, a Google engineer says that the company's artificial intelligence had gone sentient. And he thinks that this chatbot has a soul. Right. So there's several things to unpack there. The Google engineer's name is Blake Lemoyne. And... The chatbot is named Lambda, language model for dialogue applications. And if you were just a, you know, a random person on the street and you were reading the conversation back and forth between this guy and the program, you would be forgiven for thinking that there was something deeper there because the conversations are very convincing. But this guy is not just some random schmuck on the street. He's an artificial intelligence engineer, and he should know better. He should have a much better idea of how this all works, and that's where he gets into trouble. Just to dive a little bit into how a chatbot works, it's not actually thinking when you ask it a question. It's listening to what you're saying, and then it's running all kind of mathematical computations based upon the words that you use and strung together. That probably means this is what you're looking for as a response. And so it, it spits out that, that code that comes out in words. Right. And so it's also important to understand that it doesn't even say, oh, it's not looking at meaning. The way that they created Lambda, this chatbot, is they had it go read books, magazines, newspapers, transcripts, all kinds of written documents, and then just say, okay, whenever I see words one, two, three, and four, the oftentimes the next word is word five. And that's all it's doing here, is that it's looking at whenever I see these certain combinations of words, what is probably the next word that happens. And so we can see a couple good analogies of this. Whenever you have your phone and you type a word and your phone suggests three words that could be the next word, that's what this is doing, but just on a bigger scale. And so whenever you're, you type I am and your phone suggests hungry, that's not your phone saying, oh, well, you know, 
It's 3 p.m. and Haggai hasn't eaten lunch today and he had a light breakfast. I bet he's hungry. It just turns out I say I'm hungry a lot on my phone. And so that's all that's happening there. Some examples of artificial intelligence. If you remember back when IBM's Watson won on Jeopardy because it could answer faster than Ken Jennings and it wasn't that Watson was alive. It could just hear and calculate and process faster than Ken Jennings could. And other examples, whenever your Netflix says, hey, we think you'd like this show, it's not because Netflix has really sat down and said, oh, you're kind of a soft soul. And so we think that this movie really would remind you of that nice experience you had as a child. It says, oh, based upon our, our math, we can say that you liked movies one, two, and three. And other people who like movies one, two, and three also like movie four. And Netflix will even tell you, we think there's a 93% chance you like this movie. They're showing you the calculations that they're doing. That's what artificial intelligence is fundamentally, is it's just really, really good probabilities that say whenever I see this these things happening, I can give you a likelihood that this is the next one that happens. And that's what artificial intelligence is. There's actually a guy who was thinking about these things way back in the 1950s. And he developed what was called the Turing test. Right. Famous mathematician Alan Turing. He's a really, really an incredible human being. He was one of the people who helped defeat the Nazis. He was one of the people who helped crack the Enigma code. Brilliant mathematician and just kind of on a whim created the computer. They were originally called Turing machines because it, it was his idea for how to structure them. Well, whenever he first created the idea of the Turing machine, he said, okay, you know, after a little while, he said, how can I tell the difference between a really smart computer and a human being? And so ultimately, the kind of thought process that he provoked was he said, if the human can't tell a difference. And so we're going to update the analogy a little bit for the 1950s or from the 1950s. But you have another we're now moving into philosophy at this point. You have a famous philosopher, Searle, who proposed the idea of the, the Chinese room thought process. And so Searle was saying that if you have a native Chinese speaker who writes a note and slides it under the door, and then you who speaks English and doesn't know any Chinese get this note that's written, but you have a book and the book says, if you see character A, write character B. If you see character C, write character D. And so you just copy exactly what the book says and you hand the note back to the person on the other side of the door and they say oh wow this is flawless chinese the person in there must have understood what i was saying well obviously the person who's just copying from the book didn't understand what was happening and so that's where we get into this really interesting problem of the intersection of computer science and philosophy and artificial intelligence and it's called theory of mind that we really don't have a good way of telling yet when is something alive when is something thinking when is it is truly intelligent because of that computers don't really understand deep meanings they don't understand nuances Un computers understand 
exactly what you tell them to do, and they do and will only do exactly what you tell them to do. That's what a computer does. A computer can't just say, you know what, let's screw it all hag and let's go ahead and change a screen. Let's change some things around in Outlook just to see if he's paying attention. Computers can't do that. Now, if somebody hacks into my computer and they're, they're screwing with me, that's different. That's a human making those things happen. But there's a bunch of examples of questions that why a computer can't understand or be human-like in their thought process. So a great one that we liked was this question. Sam tried to paint a picture of shepherds with sheep, but they ended up looking more like golfers. Which one looked like golfers, the shepherds or the sheep? Anybody who speaks English can pretty easily guess that it was the shepherd that looked like the golfer. In your head, you can picture a poorly drawn painting and a person holding a stick and you, you kind of have the image of a golfer in your head. And so this is a question which we could ask a 10 year old and we expect a 10 year old to very reliably get this right. But because computers don't have that capability, they can't. Another good example is Joan made sure to thank Susan for all the help she had given. Who had given the help? Was it Joan or Susan? And so the Again. computer's just gonna gonna swirl and go. Well, it just you know, and the it, it's that subtle nuance of the English language that the computer's gonna have a difficult time painting that whole picture. Right, and those are those are the things that it really takes a long time. We see artificial intelligence do very specific things very well. If you need it to send you on the shortest path from A to B you know, needs to do route finding, that's a very specific thing that it can do. But to sit there and have large generalized artificial intelligence, we are very far away from that. So just be skeptical of any time you hear someone say that they have something that's become sentient, because it turns out the human brain is really unique and really cool and really powerful. And so the fact that we haven't been able to copy it yet shows how cool and unique and powerful it really is. And and yes, we all saw the Robin Williams movie Bicentennial Man, where, you know, he started off as a robot. But over about a 300 year period, he became more human like, but yet he was still always a robot. He just he had a different shell, a different skin. And then. Then he moved and acted more human-like, but he was still always a robot. And that's a great question is, you know, at what point in time do you become human? And then maybe maybe you say, okay, well, if you start life as a robot, you will never become human. But what if you have a robot that is able to understand meaning, is able to have emotions, and it moves smoothly, but has motor oil running through it instead of blood, well, we would say that's probably a person, but it's not a human. And so where do you draw that line? And that's that's for philosophers to kind of hash through. And, and I love the fact that those questions exist and you can have that those deep conversations, usually over several glasses of scotch and- Late what, night, around a table. Yeah, your adult beverage of choice kind of thing, if you will. And just 
go philosophical, but when it comes back to what artificial intelligence is now, it's code created by man, and it, you're, it's just telling a computer how to operate and to better assist us. That's what artificial intelligence is designed to do, is to assist humans. Right. It is a very good tool right now. It does a lot of, you know, each one will solve a very specific problem very well. Maybe even solve a specific problem better than a human can. But the human can also solve 50 other problems that the artificial intelligence completely falls apart for. We've talked about it and we, we beat that drum a whole lot about facial recognition. That a human can recognize a face right away. But artificial intelligence, if, if it's not programmed to look at anything but white guys, it's all it's going to know how to recognize is white guys. It'll never recognize a black female if it's never been programmed to understand a black female or an Asian or anybody that looks other than what a white guy looks like. Yeah, and it's these are the things that we're getting better at slowly over time, but we're not there yet. There are some things, and and so yes, as a tool, Google created an AI thing that will help you learn how to do interviews, and that's a great thing. I mean, you can you can go to this the the Google's website and and it'll ask you some questions, and you can answer it, and based upon how you answer the words you use, then it'll ask you another question. It's not thinking; it's responding to the words you use. And it's giving you words, so it's coaching you, it's helping you to learn how to better interview. It's another great tool that they can sit there and say, oh, well, you know, whenever we see in a good interview, these seven words near each other, we expect those other five words to also show up nearby in a good interview. Hey, you person who's trying to train here, we asked you these seven words think about these other five words which are the good response to that but again that's just saying we saw them show up near each other that's not the google being able to say ah yes you were able to successfully demonstrate a time whenever you solved a problem another good example is is what's going on in the sports world right now they're putting equipment on players like on the football field where they know exactly how how far they've run they they know exactly how fast they're running they're measuring the biometrics of that athlete when they're training when they're doing football practice they know okay this athlete's really hot and we need to shut that athlete down right now cool them off they're in trouble as opposed to this athlete's at peak training we need to do more things like this with that athlete or you know on the field you can see where someone is placing a load whenever they're running you say oh look we can see that the they're placing more of a load on their left knee whenever they do this move they're going to place their left knee in jeopardy and, and more likely to hurt themselves that way oh you know and that's the type of thing that a human being would have a really difficult time processing all of this data but this is where the artificial intelligence can sit there and comb through way more data than a human ever could in their entire lifetime and produce a pattern. But again, it's just the ability to draw lines between sets of data. It's not a true understanding. When you just go back and look at the whole thing, it's code, it's math, it's 
just a computer doing what a human asked it to do. And if you think about the short time we've had computers, they've made fantastic leaps and bounds in the small amount of time they've existed, but there's still more leaps and bounds that need to be made before they truly are our equals. And we want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission, and that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4, and the show will rerun Sunday at 4. If you missed any part of our show, or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform, including Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podcast Attic, Overcast, Player FM, and more. And when you're there, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.